Hello and welcome to The Right Idea, your guide to the policy, politics, and people that drive Texas. I'm Brian Phillips, the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and with me always is my co-host, Derek Cohen. He runs our policy shop at, at, at TPPF as well. So you've got the comms guy, you've got the policy guy, and we are in full session mode. But first I have to ask you, Derek, are your brackets busted? Like uh, everyone else's. Oh, I don't know. I, as long as nobody's going to go into the archives and look it up, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do a bracket. <laughs> how, no, did, it, how did your Cincinnati Bearcats do this year? Did they make it to the tournament? Uh, they made it to a tournament. <laughs> they got that going on. <laughs> so, same with uh, same with Michigan. So the Hawaii Invitational or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I was about to say, you know, hey, don't don't sleep on Chaminade. You know, <laughs> no. All all that to say is the brackets are in a. Uh, I think a state of disrepair would probably be. Um, a charitable estimate. Uh, luckily, the uh, the pain seems to be felt uh, specifically in my uh, my family group. Mm. Uh, the uh, pain seems to be pretty universal. Well, you know, I actually like it when the brackets get busted because then you can just enjoy the games. You can just sit yeah. back and watch. And it's nice to have you know our my our whatever somebody's Texas Longhorns uh, still in Sweet Sixteen. So there's a lot of folks obviously around here uh, that are excited to watch the game. So looking forward to that this weekend. So we can just tear up the brackets. Nobody's going to win any money. And we're not going to talk about what happened to the Aggies either. Oh, yeah. We definitely don't want to talk about that. There's uh, too many Aggies in the building. So we will just move on from sports, from the sports world. We will talk about politics. We will talk about policy. Um, obviously, we are in the thick of things uh, here um, uh, during session. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, if you want to uh, give us feedback, we always love that online, good or bad. Um, I'm at RealBFill on Twitter, and Derek is at... Uh, is it Cohen at TPPF if I get that right um, on on Twitter we love you know ideas for the show or p- policies and, and topics that you guys want to talk about um, but you know I mean this is we, we talk about this every week we talk about this um, uh, feels like we talk about it you know often because it's the top two or three issues uh, we'll just jump right into to your ledge land report on what's going on um, in, in session right now school choice right now as we speak um, is, is still going on in the uh, Senate at, Education Committee, what's going on at the Capitol? Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned uh, that we're in, we're in the thick of it because on Tuesday that was the halfway line. Mm. So you know we got all the, you know everything that has gone before. Now we get to do it again. But the funny thing is, work distribution wise, we're probably only about I would say thirty percent of the way done work wise. Mm-hmm. Um, just because how the next several weeks, several months are going to be are going to be loaded. So you mentioned school choice. That was a big uh, a big hearing uh, yesterday. Uh, we saw on the north steps of the Capitol hundreds of folks uh, showing up in the rain, no less, mm-hmm. uh, to support Governor Abbott uh, and his push for for school choice. Obviously, then driving down to Houston and and uh, having a, a similar rally uh, for that. Obviously, that was last week. We had the Houston ISD Day at the Capitol, so you know we talked a little bit about that uh, as well. But also on the days at the Capitol thing, you know that's one of the things I found pretty uh, uh, entertaining. Is that it seems like this week they're packing all the so and so day at the Capitol, mm-hmm. uh, blank county day at the Capitol, all that. Realtors stuff. day yesterday. Oh yeah, and my goodness, they they were out they were out in force. Uh, you know, I made the uh, made the flip joke like quick millennials buy a house now and save four so, percent. But uh, all that all joking aside, um, yeah, it was it's just the Capitol is at that at that peak buzz right now because of course when you get closer to sunny die bills start to die, mm-hmm. uh, you know certain constituents. Stop showing up for uh, for certain reasons, um, and that's 
you know, that's kind of the, the, the circle of life, as it were. And organizations start to wonder why they paid all that money for lobbyists when the bills are dying and, and they're <laughs> not moving on the calendar and all that. Um, well, let's let's jump into, you know, what we saw um, this week. Um, we'll, let's start with school choice. I mean, there was a there was the committee hearing yesterday. What was your takeaway um, from, you know, I, I guess it was a debate. I mean, we heard a lot of witness testimony. It's kind of the way it works at the, the state capitol is that, um, you know, they have, in, they have folks that they invite because they, they want specifically to hear from them and those folks. Folks always go first, uh, but then it's a you know it's a free for all after that. Anybody can go in uh, and 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 give their two minutes or five minutes or whatever you have, what have you. Where did you see the debate going during that during uh, that discussion? Well, I mean, no doubt they had. I think they said they had some like three hundred and twenty some odd witnesses, mm-hmm. um, and each one getting three minutes to talk is uh, that's going to take uh, quite some time. Uh, I don't do math in public though. Um, that being said, is what, what we saw the debate going. Keep in mind that wasn't just it wasn't just uh, SB8 being uh, SB8 and SB9 being up. There was other other ones in that lane. And SB8 was the is the chairman's bill on on uh, ESAs or, or school choice. And then SB9 is the teacher pay. Just so everybody knows. But. Yeah, yeah. And so those were those are obviously moving together for for very very clear reasons. The issues that we saw being brought up was less was less about. Um, Less about the form and function that these uh, that these programs would take, but it was more about this whole you know I I don't want to say narrative for narrative's sake, but you know it, it's tr- it's you can definitely tell when somebody shows up without having read the bill or mm-hmm. at least having a functional understanding of what's in it. And you know a bill like SB eight is not a it's not a small bill right. by any means in terms of both scope and even page count. But that being said is that the major tenets of what a bill does are what animates it. But what we saw, especially a lot in the, the public setting is that, or the public uh, testimony, is that not a lot of folks knew what was inside the bill. You know, they decried vouchers and stuff like that. But, you know, that's the rallying cry and all that. Sure. But they did so in ways that with things that weren't in the bill. They did, you know, of course, you know, following wild speculation about, you know, rural high schools exploding and football poofing out of existence in Texas, which that would be quite the uh, quite the feat in and of itself. We, we heard those particular stories. and but the thing is it was it was never countered um, or at least counterbalanced by the people that were exp- you know expositing them from the folks that were saying like, no, I'm in this school right now and it's horrible and I am locked in and there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you've heard some back and forth. you're some folks on, um, Folks on the committee saying, "Oh, this won't even cover. This won't even cover the average cost of a of a private school," mm-hmm. and it's like this. That's not the point of this. The point is give them a fighting chance. You know, there are people that are sacrificing working two jobs so that their kids can go to private school. Now, one of the points that were raised about that is that those kids, if they're already in private school, won't necessarily benefit from the ESA provision of, of SBA. Right. That's a that's a, a, a policy that's a, a policy debate that they're having. But there's a million other things in SBA that improve the quality of education. You know, we, we talked about the the four the four tier uh, model of how education is supposed to work here. This does that. Mm-hmm. This does that. So even if even if this does not facilitate your child going to a different school, which is does a goes a really long way to doing that. Even if it doesn't, it has many other features that will actually strengthen education. Right, and that's the the parents' bill of rights part that the governor's been talking about, and that that folks up there have been talking about. Certainly, something that, that TPVF has 
been talking about this idea that um, you know if you read the bill, it's all right there in plain English. You have a right there. You have transparency. You have a right as a parent to know what your kids are going to be learning. What are the materials that they're going to be learning? And you shouldn't have to. You know, it shouldn't take six months and, and levels of bureaucracy in order for them to give you those materials. If they're giving them to your kid on Monday, you should be able to access that and, and know what they and know what those things are. And that was that's actually a good uh, jumping off point for uh, another uh, interesting hearing that we saw this week with uh, uh, Jared Patterson's HB 900, the Reader Act. Mm-hmm. And I, and this is the bill dealing with uh, inappropriate materials, you know, adult materials, sexual, right. highly sexualized materials uh, that are available to children in schools. Yes, yes. And and you saw that one again, following the same, the same similar trajectory where folks were coming in and testifying. Usually part of a, an interest group, like say the uh, Texas Library uh, Association, um, about that. And, you know, like and I, and I mean. Interest groups are interest groups, you know. Technically, we are as well. You know, we have, we now we we advertise very strongly what our uh, what our uh, animating principles are. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was just kind of coming in, and then this kind of like superficial battling of why are you trying to burn books? Mm-hmm. You know, why why are you trying to make ban this, books? Yeah, yeah, make this Fahrenheit four fifty one. It's like no, we just you just want some sort of controls. And again, this one doesn't even this doesn't even necessarily go through and start throwing books in the dumpster. This creates a process, a process for review, and so that's mm-hmm. one of the things where. It's, it seems that the... Which I think a lot yeah. of parents would be shocked to even know that it's that light. I mean, it's a great bill. And, and obviously, you know, we're, we've uh, said it's a good bill and it'll it'll have a lot of improvement. But I mean, to your point, it's not even... it's It really doesn't... It doesn't come close to banning books. It simply right. says there's a process for review uh, and that parents have, again, back to parents' rights, mm-hmm. parents have a large um, um, a say in if they don't like something that's in, you know, their kid's classroom or in their mm-hmm. kid's library, that they are part of this part, this process mm-hmm. and... and and they don't have to again spend six months and you know miss work and do all kinds of things in order to get you know this pornography out of their libraries. Yeah, and and one of the one of the I will say one of the testimonies against the bill that I actually found com- somewhat compelling was saying like you know some of these books you know offer an escape or a you know or or some form of a normalization for somebody who's going through you know things that were trauma specifically what if it was sexual trauma things like that and i i i actually i actually resonate with that but the thing is if you look at what would fall in that camp many of those books would be fine it, the these absolute explicit descriptions of uh, some of these sexual acts, you know, aren't necessarily ones that will provide that that holistic, you know, quasi therapy for these mm-hmm. uh, for these kids. So, and not only that, but with a with a view a review process in place. That is going to be something that will actually be able to be independently evaluated. And look, I would be, you know, I've said this multiple times in the program and, and other places. I wish they would just have an intellectually honest debate about what it is that they want. Right. I mean, you know, that seems to me like if that's a legitimate concern with people, just to have that part of the debate and say, look, this is what we're concerned about. This is why this material is available. It's kind of a, you know, it's a kind of a red flag yeah. for some, you know, for, for people who then can help the child and get them the counseling that they need. I mean, obviously, we don't think that if somebody's been sexually traumatized, they need to be sitting alone in a, in a library reading this book and that's all that, you know, we need to do and, and help them as a, as a society. But this might be, if you're making a, an intellectually honest 
case mm-hmm. for why this material needs to be in there. That's that's fine. I will hear you out, and I will. But that's not what they do. I mean, that's no. not what the left does. I mean, the, the members in the House yesterday, you know, tweeting out using social media, you know, talking about banning books, banning books, banning books, and that's you know that's not what the debate is about. It's not remotely what the debate is about because they don't. They either don't have the intellectual heft to come up with uh, with good arguments for why that stuff is in there, or they just believe what we think they believe, and they think kids need to be exposed. You know, Mm -hmm. 13-year-olds need to be exposed to this kind of graphic sexual material, and they think it's a good thing just in general, which is, of course, what parents are so crazy about. Uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say maybe it's all just uh, rhetorical flourish. But again, we talked last week on, uh, what was it, HB20 dropped. That's the the border security bill Mm -hmm. in in the House, which I... which I not only read myself, I had to have our um, our policy folks at work on that uh, drop a bill a on or a, a ba on that because I was like, there's no way that this is a lynching bill or what. The right. Thing. And I get it. And, and you go and you read it. It's like this is absolutely insane. This has nothing to do with any of that stuff. And it comes to a thing where like either this is a such a cynical craven take on what this actual bill does or like you said or they actually believe it which i don't believe anybody could be you know uh working in an adult profession and and have that level of take but it's funny because you see this and you know this is why we see like like as was reported in the dallas morning news that uh the the democrats are going to try to uh you know either you know pop the budget walk out on the budget or uh what else did you see that they're going to yeah uh Put leverage on uh, casino gambling in Texas. Yeah, I was I was about to say if uh, you, good luck. I said you're you're a political guy, or at least a person with political sensibilities. You understand that saying? Yeah, we were going to give you property tax relief, but uh, instead we're going to uh, you know we're going to hold uh, uh, hold the budget up because you know we feel that kids should be able to go uh, uh, undergo. Uh, uh, surgeries, gender modification yeah. surgeries. Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing. Back to that point. I mean, whether it's HB twenty and the immigration border security issue, and them framing it as, oh, well, this means that you know this police force is going to kick down grandma's door and deport her, which of course is not the case. Or you have you know the the drag queen bill, I think, which is you know the the getting the the drag queen shows um, up so that, as we speak. Yeah, it is uh, is up today and making sure that minors can't attend these highly sexualized shows. Right. You know, oh well, that's anti gay. It's like it's they just have to frame it in the in these intellectually dishonest ways. The, the best one I saw was from the Austin LGBTQIA plus Chamber of Commerce. Wow. You want to talk about taxpayer-funded lobbying. Um, but uh, they said that under this, uh, you would not be able to show Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, I've I've seen Mrs. Doubtfire several times. I must have <laughs> I must have missed the part where, as said in the bill, it's for an explicit purient sexual interest. Right. I, I, I definitely may, didn't see. Maybe that. I was just not watching it the right way. I, I did mean. not did not see that. That must have been the uh, director's cut. I don't know of, of Mrs. <laughs> Doubtfire. You know, but like Greater Tuna. You know, these are these are characters. You know, these are actors playing a character. You know, playing his grandma or playing. You know, playing, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire. Like these are actors playing a part. That has nothing. It's not. It's not simply men dressing up as women. Like that's not the part. I mean, you see these videos of these scantily clad men dressed up like highly sexualized caricatures of women. You know, walking kids down the runway and shaking their rear ends in front of them, and then you know having them handed dollars. Like I don't remember that in Mrs. Doubtfire. I don't think that was a scene in Mrs. Doubtfire. To be fair, it's been at least fifteen years since I've seen it. <laughs> we'll have to go back and watch that one. Um, uh, rest in peace. Um, uh, oh, I just Robin Williams. Rob Williams. Thank you. Yeah, greatest actor. All right, so um, well, let's get into it. I mean, the, the, people don't just listen to this for our punditry on on all things. <laughs> um, uh, what's coming up? 
So we have, I mean, property tax is a huge one. That one just got to the Senate floor. It got out of committee. Where are we at on property tax? I believe they voted out uh, Senate Bill 3 um, yesterday, if I I recall correctly. Now, obviously, a lot of attention was paid towards... was uh, Senate Higher Education? I'm sorry, Senate Education. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, again, to shout out your product there, Brian, uh, the layout. We uh, just posted one, I believe, this morning uh, with uh, James Quintero uh, talking to Senator Paul Betancourt uh, and Senator Tan Parker mm-hmm. on uh, SB uh, three, four, and five. Now I had to go. I had to. I had to actually print out the chart because I mean, it's a it's a pretty complex three tier system yeah. that they're working with here. I, I follow this stuff, and yeah. I, I have to ask all you. Smart Smart people, yeah. so please dumb it Is there down. Somebody for behind me. me, or yeah, I know, <laughs> I, I know you know, point, and you know, and, and Paul Bencourt does a really good Senator Bencourt. Yeah. Sorry, does a really good job of, of kind of breaking this down, yeah. and he's on, you know, I hear him on the radio and stuff, and even then, I still have to run it back and try and follow along to see, you know, what does this mean? How's this going right. to actually affect my property tax? Right, right, and so the, the and again, we we've, we've talked a little bit in previous episodes, not in a previous episode, but previous episodes mm-hmm. about the the differing approach between um, the Senate and the House, and and also where you know we have invitations out we want to um, have the authors of the, the house approach uh, come in as well talk to James uh, and kind of walk through th- their rationale their ideas here because I mean again I think everyone's kind of in the same I mean if we're quote-unquote insiders mm-hmm. and we're still you know kind of trying to parse you know the difference between uh, you know which one of these is an a pl- or which one of these is one and which one is 1a yeah. you know we're still trying to work our way through that you know I think we can see that you know at least the broad strokes of what what these are coming to uh, fruition. So, obviously with uh, SB3, that's the one that deals mostly with the homestead exemption, um, and it obviously increases that uh, for the over 65s as well. Mm-hmm. SB4 is the uh, compression side, and then the business taxes uh, are taken care of in SB5. So, there is a broad base, you know, different, uh, I think, different relief functions and amounts in different uh, buckets there, but that's exactly trying to you know help everybody out in one way shape or form and again and again we're going you know I'd, I'd love to have the authors from the, the, the house side on because I mm-hmm. their approach is compelling as well and I think that once I you know you hear the layout you'll be able to start um, discerning the differences. Yeah, just to follow up on that, well, we have a we have a, a series, if you're not familiar with it, it's called The Layout. It's on our uh, YouTube page. It's got its own playlist there. We have a, more than a dozen members that we've brought in uh, to talk specifically. It's five to seven minutes. They talk about the bills. They talk about, you know, what the problem is that they're trying to solve, how the bill would work. They get into the kind of the nitty gritty and the mm-hmm. nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, it's not just property tax and, and, you know, school choice and things like that that everybody's talking about. It's a lot of these bills that are really, really important yeah. um, that don't really get the media because they're not as sexy, you know, and the media can't, you know, demonize the conservatives uh, with it. But but these are really important bills um, that, that are up. And so we created a series where the members can come in and, you know, um, just, you know, without, you know, without being poked at, they can, uh, they can basically lay out their bills. Yeah. And well, I mean, like, I mean, you said that it's a, uh, you know, it's not the, not necessarily the banner uh, issues all the time, even though many of the ones that we've had are for some uh, major priority legislation, uh, whether in the House or the Senate. I think that um, one of my favorites might be uh, might be Representative Schaefer's uh, one on workforce development, one that you hosted. Yeah, one that I hosted. Uh, workforce and, development. And so, and, and again, like that's nobody's out there marching for you know uh, you know quality job based funding models in higher education. <laughs> right. But it's such an important thing to the, the the health of the state that 
it would be foolish not to engage in it. I'm just glad that we have a, a venue where we can start getting that information out there. So that was the shameless plug portion of the of the <laughs> podcast. We probably spent too much time on that, but it is a great series, and fa- and frankly, it's 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 doing its job. I mean, people are watching it and they are learning about these bills, and frankly, members are are enjoying the opportunity to, to come in and talk about their bills that they don't normally get to talk about. But you did mention higher ed, mm-hmm. and that's a big one that's going on. The same committee that that was uh, debating uh, school choice yesterday in the Senate is debating uh, higher ed. One of the big issues there. Again, it's one of these issues that's not super sexy, but actually really, really matters, particularly to parents, is this idea of accreditation. And and, and not a lot of people know uh, um, how uh, how this has gotten off track, but I'll just give you the bumper sticker version. You know, parents used to use the accreditation process to know which universities were actually doing their job, which universities were actually preparing kids to go on and, you know, get into the workforce and giving them a well-rounded uh, education and, you know, discovery and learning and all the things that that um, that higher ed is supposed to do these accreditation services which are private services uh, which are uh, deemed the authority uh, given authority by the federal government to accredit universities this was kind of a sh- kind of a cliff notes for parents right to be able to say this university is accredited this one's not so I'm I'm spending my money wisely over here jump to today not surprisingly a lot of these accreditations uh, services have now gone woke and instead of just simply uh, validating and verifying that that these are good, worthy academic institutions are now using their power to accre- to accredit uh, in order to force mm-hmm. you know social change or faculty changes um, or you know f- or approach to hiring using their authority with uh, being able to accredit or not accredit university to push uh, more of this woke ideology and so that is happening unfortunately across the country um, the accreditation services are really taking it on the chin right now because all this is getting exposed. And Texas, as usual, is really leading in this effort uh, to to reform this whole system to make sure that parents, and it really boils down to parents, so that parents can know that when they're sending their kid to you know some university or college, that the accrediting actually means something about academics and not just social justice. Absolutely, and and so I, you know, I came from academia, and I will be the first to tell you, um, you know, I tell this to people all the time, is that what you think it is like. It was worse than that when I left, and that was years ten, ago. Yeah. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. And the funny thing is, it's like I went to a you know fairly blue collar uh, midwestern school. I went to the University of Cincinnati, and you know that's not you know that's not Sarah Lawrence. That's that's not Brown. That's not Vassar. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and Brandeis. So, <laughs> and, and like so many of these, but so many of those institutions are so far gone. They were farther down the road. But even even Cincinnati, you know, like had all sorts of um, interesting interference uh, with our, you know, with kind of the, the student conduct board um, when it started to, to, to drift that way and, and in favor of, of um, you know, what we now what we now essentially see is kind of the corruption of the certain restorative justice models versus what it originally was mm-hmm. and so that's what it was where it is now i can only i can only imagine but the reason it gets like that again you mentioned the accreditors but on the actual university side it's the same thing on the university side you know i think they just said the university of michigan another one of my old moders um has some like like over 100 uh dei uh professionals which yeah. The, 
even if you have a DI department with five individuals, if you need a full admin, I mean, some universities don't have 135 faculty. Yeah, right. You know, smaller universities don't have that, and yet we have this many people dedicated to just this. working on DEI, which is, of course, the enforcement mechanism for all this woke garbage. I, I, I would. I would challenge them to demonstrate what those people are doing with their time, what they're doing with the tax dollars. Well, there was a Wall Street Journal article about how a lot of those folks were getting fired because of that exact reason, like because of the economy, because of cutbacks, the universities are having to try and find savings in places. And they're realizing that one of the biggest savings was, well, they hired all these high-priced DEI consultants yeah. uh, and they're not getting anything, any bang for their buck. Uh, there are two examples that I'll they're show. They're getting a less palatable product for us. With yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what the, there was a report um, out of the Texas A&M, you know, whoop baggies, whatever. Um, <laughs> did I do that right? Um, I think whooping Aggies was what happened in the tournament. Exactly. Oh, look at you. No. Do we have a, a little bump bump? No, I, I was about to. I was about to say my. Bear, I, it's at a point where I'm just sharing pain. <laughs> just sharing pain. It's cathartic. Uh, but they did. I mean, for their part, they did put out a report that said people like after implementing these DEI policies or, or implementing, um, you know, um, or creating a DEI uh, department and hiring all these people to enforce all this stuff, people are less happy or people feel less included. Uh, uh, people, you know, they ask the question, "Do you feel included and part?" of you know the the system and part of the community at Texas A&M you know whatever it was five or seven years ago 85% of students said yes today it was 55% I mean that is a huge jump in just a short time even after they have implemented all these crazy DEI policies yeah and I mean and I can yes end that with an example just down the street at the University of Texas you know they uh, had some sponsored research uh, pursuant to uh, COVID and a lot of the and this is this is publishing forthcoming but a lot of what they found is again because looking at the mental health of individuals how did it persist or change through mm. the COVID experience? And people are, as I say people, I mean, students are terrified of saying the wrong thing. They are at a place where it is actually mentally unhealthy to, uh, you know, engage in any sort of debate. So when we talk about- I was say, that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, exactly. Of DEI. Well, how, how else are you going to say that words are violence, you know? Right. That, You'd have to believe that not only can words hurt, but that they can do so in such a way that they need to be preemptively stopped. Now, of course, that's you know anathema to literally everything this country is built upon, but still, it hasn't stopped me yet. Which is interesting because the universities are fighting back, um, or some universities are fighting back by creating entire colleges, the purpose of which is getting back to free speech yeah. or getting back to you know to values that aren't so far left. And so you have, um, I think they called it at one point the Liberty Institute at the University of Texas. I think it's now called Civitas. Um, but they're but they're establishing something up there. Of course, the faculty is losing their mind right. because they call it, you know, oh, this is just some MAGA, you know, right-wing thing. Actually, it's all about free speech. Yeah, I was say, don't, don't, don't comment on the fact that they have a 30-person center for abortion advocacy, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, and, and the, speaking, going back to the accreditors, um, there is a case out at the University of North Carolina where they have done something similar. They have created an entire college, the purpose of which is to foster free speech and free debate and, you know, a uh, diversity of viewpoint, actually, you know, and to have different ideas about different subjects and to have an entire college, never mind that the whole college should probably be like that, no matter where, uh, no matter where they are, but they're having to create this college. Well, the accreditor for, for UNC got involved and said, well, you didn't run this past the faculty. Of course, the faculty
faculty is completely woke, you know, yeah. died in the wool. And they're saying, oh, well, this is wrong. You didn't run this past the faculty. Like, why is the accreditor getting involved in that? Like, why, what is the role of the accreditor to say, here's your process right. for creating a new college and you have to do X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, you're, that has nothing to do with academic credentials. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, with research and, you know, mm. stuff that they're putting out. It has to do with the process of creating a new college. And yet the, that accreditor is trying to get involved and saying, well, you didn't, essentially, you didn't give the veto power right. to uh, to these to these woke faculty um, before you did that. You're not letting the inmates run a particular uh, front door to the 100%. asylum. Yeah, 100%. All right. Okay. So th- we talked about a lot this week. I mean, that's literally going on right now as we speak is that, that debate over accreditation. So I wanted to highlight that. Um, there are probably other things that we wanted to highlight from this week, but I do want to get your take while we still have, you know, five or 10 minutes to go on, you know, what's next? I mean, a lot of these bills are getting through, are just getting through committees and, you know, the, the bills are, you know, once, once the bills are, I guess, amended and, you know, they're, they're substituted, it's called a, a substitute whenever they, um, you know, add things to the bills, they're getting out of committee. Now they're heading to the floor. Um, we're kind of in that process right now. So what do you see coming up in the next couple of weeks? Well, I mean, some of that's already, I mean, some of those ships have already sailed. I mean, I believe the Senate, I'd have to check to see how many bills they've actually voted out that are now received in the House. You know, we talked earlier about the, the compliment to uh, Senator Cornyn's, um, you know, you know, gun bill, uh, the one that gets uh, disqualifying information into NICS if it was generated in a juvenile, juvenile context. Mm-hmm. Um, but also another big one uh, and another one carried by Chairwoman Huffman uh, was the joint resolution that allows judges to actually deny bail uh, in very serious cases. You know, I, we talked about before. You can only deny basic basically unless a cop walks in with you with a smoking gun or that you have a rap sheet a mile long. You can you you are owed an amount of bail, and I just have to guess how poor you are, uh, so that you can uh, so that you don't uh, pay it. And then if you find somebody um, that can back you on that, then you're gone. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously not making the public safety determination. So they can it, deny this. It's loosening the the rules behind being able to deny bail to particularly offensive. Yes. Yeah. And, and let me and like I know like a lot of people. Are like, oh, that's probably just the those conservatives in the Senate running it, run, run, uh, running it down. Uh, uh, the, the liberal throats. It was a 30 to one vote. Yeah. 30 to one. Mm-hmm. 30 senators out of 31 thought, uh, no, you know, having this tool in the toolbox is something useful. That's already over in the House. You know, the House is already meeting with all its committees. Uh, they're already kicking stuff out. They haven't set a calendar yet, but I think we're going to see the first one here very shortly. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the Senate and they can, you know, they, they run differently so they can literally move quicker. There was only 31, as you mentioned, so not everybody, uh, you know, you don't have 150 members trying to clamor, you know, and get their get their word in, which is which is the way it should be. Yeah. But it does move a lot faster in the Senate. So where are we in the House with, you know, say let's, you know, uh, you know, Senator Betancourt was, was bragging today, which he should, you know, his four bills got voted out of the Senate unanimously, all four bills. It was, you know, he was 124 to one to zero. Yeah. Um, so all of those go to the House. Kind of, uh, how does that process take take place, and and what's the the timing? Well, if you look online, at what, on let's just say uh, SB three or what have you, if you look online, it'll say received by the House. So now what happens is it needs to be uh, referred. Now one thing that it, one thing that can happen is that it doesn't necessarily get referred. Um, referred to a committee. Referred to a committee. Yes. Okay. Uh, or they can wait till whatever the House analog. Now, for SB3 is a bad example of this because there is no House analog of that. Again, because the House has a different approach to how they want to tackle the property tax issue. But let's just say that 
there was an SB3 in the house, you know, HB3. Okay, mm-hmm. this obvious, that's not a real number. Actually, HB3 is another funding bill, but it's for school safety, uh, right. Chairman Burroughs, which is actually a really good bill. Um, all that to say is, let's say there was that, a counterpart to it in the, in the like a like a one to one match. Yeah, let's but let's say it was a house bill. They could actually pass the house bill through the committee, lay out the Senate bill or set it to a calendar, and then on items eligible, lay out the Senate bill. Mm. So in that case, the Senate bill technically would not have been voted on in that committee. But since it's the same, co- you know, substantive context, they could vote that out. Now, if there was any change, then I don't want to go too far in the weeds, but if there's any change. That's uh, what we do here. We're getting, yeah. We get in the weeds. It's all good. That's why we have this program. Buck, buckle up. You ready for some nerd stuff? Yeah. <laughs> um, but what they would do is let's just say that they do move or like they say, okay, we are going to do the Senate bill model. They do move Senate bill three through the committee. Um, they change it. They go, okay, but I want it to reflect, you know, one of the, I mean, you'd have to do a separate bill for this, but let's just say they put valuation caps in there somehow. I mean, it wouldn't be germane, but let's just suppose they did that. Um, and then that gets through the floor, gets voted out and sent back. So now we have SB3 that got voted out of the Senate and SB3 that got voted out of the House. Two radically different bills. Mm-hmm. What do we do then? So that's what it'll go to then the originating chamber, and they will have to vote whether to concur with it uh, or to confer with it. Uh, so in other words, if they concur with it, they go, now nah, those changes are fine. We'll just, let's send it to the governor. If they want to go to a conference committee, mm. then they, they pick five. It's usually the bill author and their five, three, uh, four closest friends. Um, <laughs> and then the uh, House picks five. And then they come together and they negotiate that. And then they have to vote to adopt the conference report. Which So that, again, is the final vote on that bill in that chamber. So that all, so the conference report goes all back to the House and the Senate. Yeah. If, they both vote, yeah. if they vote for it, then it Those, those will be there. identical. And yeah. they both have to now. They both have to uh, approve it one final time. Okay. Um, so obviously, a lot of controversial big bills going on in the the Senate that we've talked about. What's going on in the House? What are the big issues that are going on in the House? I got I got to say, and not only because I, I think that we've seen a lot of great leadership on this, but uh, some of our folks have been really uh, really helpful on it too. I think the tech agenda is looking mm-hmm. really really good in the House. So we had issues, um, and this is protecting kids online. This is data privacy, broad, data privacy, broadband mm-hmm. issues. All of that um, is is looking good. And and, and yeah, the, and the broadband bill. I mean, that's you know that's something that we have to we'll have to because that's a, again it's it's a broad bill so to speak. Um, so that's something that needs to be analyzed. But on the matters of uh, data privacy, HB four, keeping kids safe online, HB eighteen. Uh, we essentially have seen those not only been given a hearing, um, HB4 will probably be one of the first ones set to, to a floor debate. Hmm. Um, and we've seen just like it was a very, very positive hearing on on uh, on those bills. Maybe some interested parties might not have uh, thought it was as as positive. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but that being said, is the speaker's tech agenda is like the social media companies who are going to have to regulate or be forced to I dare regulate some it. of their content. Uh, <clears throat> um, but that being said, is we generally see that you know the the interest in getting those bills moving is pretty pronounced and and. One thing I, w- I will also say, and where I think that the process is going to seem artificially slow, even though it's not, is the speaker made a select committee on community safety. Um, and so that is kind of like an adjunct to the uh, Homeland Security and Public Safety Committee. Both are chaired by uh, Chairman Guillen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to see them handle a lot of the really uh, tough bills, the mm-hmm. the Uvalde-oriented bills, the bills dealing with gun control or, mm-hmm. or gun rights. And so those have very complex 
discussion. There's a lot of people that want to speak their mind on that, and they split it apart into two committees. That's going to make it seem like a whole lot more process than necessary. Yeah. The the other side of that would be keep them in the same committee and have hearings go till uh, 10 a.m. the next as, morning. As big of an issue as that is, as tragic as, as Uvalde was, it, it is true. You haven't really heard much um, about the the reforms on that, but there will be a, a major debate on that. I mean, we <clears throat> the folks that we talked to up there, yeah. you know, have, have always asked for ideas, you know, um, coming up with uh, good reforms that, you know, both keep kids safe, keep the schools safe, um, you know, but there's some controversial ideas, you know, getting, you know, guns on campus and having, you know, former cops be able to, you know, carry on campuses and things like that. So um, it hasn't really bubbled up quite yet because of all yeah. these other property tax and things I, issues, but it'll be, it'll it's, it's coming. You, you make a really good point. It's the sobriety of the uh, debate right now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's, I think that that is. Which is encouraging, right? Yeah. Because I mean, this is obviously a very serious, serious matter. And in doing so, it's, I mean, you, you do have a couple members um, in either chamber who are making it about them. Um, you know, you needn't look too far to figure out who that is. Um, but the folks that are actually in the name names, come on. No, I I, got to go and talk to them after this, man. Um, (laughs) but no, no, I, I think that you are seeing a lot of folks having an earnest, sober, good faith discussion. And does that mean it's going to end to agreement? Absolutely not. But the fact that it is keeping this this civil, respectful tone in and of itself is good. I think, I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, good work with, uh, Chairman Burroughs' bill on, uh, school, uh, uh, Chairman Specific. King, uh, Ken King, has a uh, a bill on that as well, and obviously Tracy King has several, uh, who represents Uvalde, has several uh, bills in that space as well, and they're all going to be discussed. All right. Well, we'll, that's a positive note. I think we can probably close uh, on that as well. Um, So we it's getting very interesting in the Texas legislature. Things are literally happening right now as we speak. We're going to leave here and go and check our email and text and all of that Twitter to find out what we missed. Um, And so we really do appreciate those of you who are listening every week. We're getting a lot of really good feedback. Um, Again, you can get Derek and I and our various uh, social media um, uh, avenues and and platforms. Um, Usually on Twitter, Derek is, is as well. Um, And then, of course, you know, any of this information is all available at uh, texaspolicy.com. If you want to find the layout, which is the new product that we talked about, you can just go to texaspolicy.com slash layout, uh, the layout, and it'll take you right to all of the episodes. If you have a bill that you want someone to come in and talk about, um, and it could be Republican, Democrat, conservative, it may not be something that we even necessarily support. We would love to have a member come in and talk about bad bills, right? Like that could even be a thing. So um, if you have ideas about um, what we could do there we would love to, to hear from you and get your feedback so as always you know i've been saying it wrong the quote that i love from sam houston i've been saying do good and suffer the consequences it's, it's actually do good and risk the consequences which i think is actually probably better yeah it's, it's better because there's no it's like oh yeah you're gonna suffer exactly <laughs> it's like oh you may <laughs> all right well thank you for watching thank you for listening as always do good and risk the consequences we'll see you next time